Hello and welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg. I'm a certified physician assistant, a certified athletic trainer. I have a doctorate degree in medical science and over 30 years of experience in sports medicine, orthopedics, and medical education. My goal is to take your orthopedic diagnosis or injury and help you make sense of it. Welcome to H2 Orthopedics. Hello and welcome to today's episode of H2 Orthopedics. This is Mike, as you probably know. Uh, today's topic is going to be hamstring injuries. And I'm going to lump hamstring strains or injury to the to the muscle itself and hamstring tendon rupture together just to cover you know similar similar topics you know but different in their own in their own way but uh, same part of the body so I thought I'd just lump them together. I've had a couple uh, patients recently uh, that have come to the clinic through the through the clinic um, that have had hamstring ruptures and then uh, two or three days ago had a hamstring strain. Uh, so I thought I would just uh, kind of lump these together and talk about them. So the, it's pretty interesting that uh, th- things in medicine tend to, for whatever reason, come in bunches. And so uh, literally in the last uh, 10 to 12 days, I'm going to say three injuries of the same body part, same general area that we haven't seen in six or nine months probably. So I don't understand it, but it is what it is. So here we go. Anyway, hamstrings. So the hamstrings are three muscles on the back of your thigh or the upper part of your leg uh, that uh, help you, you know, in a lot of different ways. They give you support. They help you walk. They they, they really function in a lot of different ways. Um, if you look at it, the way they attach, they attach below the knee. So they actually attach uh, to the tibia, so the, the shin bone on the backside, so below your knee. So one of the roles that they play is to bend your knee. They lift the foot towards your butt or flex your knee, we would call it. So that's one mechanism, and that's what most people would say. And in the gym, if you want to build your hamstrings or make them strong, a lot of people will uh, will do hamstring curls or, you know, much like you do a curl for your biceps in the front of your arm, uh, you can do a hamstring curl where you're laying on your belly on a bench uh, or sitting in a chair, I guess, either way, and pushing down, bringing your heel towards your butt against resistance to build the strength in the hamstrings. So knee flexion and then hip extension is the other um, uh, mechanism of the of the hamstrings, so um, bringing your foot uh, backwards. So the best way to describe that: laying flat on your belly on the ground and lifting your leg upwards. You're not going to take it very far because the motion doesn't. You don't have that great range of motion in that plane. But that's your hamstring that's doing that. Um, a lot of patients will exercise their hamstring during um, rehab or conditioning by getting on all fours and by keeping their knee bent, so activating it already at the knee, they will fire their foot towards the ceiling and that's activating the hamstrings. Some people call those donkey kick exercises. You can, If you do it, you can imagine why that's the case, but that's the other mechanism. So knee flexion and hip extension are the two uh, primary uh, functions of the hamstring. Three muscles, like I said, attach up near the pelvis. So they attach on the what we call the ischial tuberosity. You can a lot of people call it the sit bone. If you looked at a picture of a skeleton in the pelvis, there's those two little rings down on the bottom. Those are called the ischial tuberosities. And on the bottom side of that are where the hamstring tendon tendon attach uh, up top. And then again, like I said before, they attach below the knee on the back of the tibia. Um, so their job is to to kind of help us move around. You can imagine they they work every day when we walk. They help us, you know, you know, um, climb stairs, get out of chairs. They they are balanced by the quadriceps, which are the four muscles in the front of the thigh, and um, they have to have kind of a, a, a symmetry or they have to work in concert uh, to be coordinated with their actions. So how does this get injured? 
Well, oftentimes, um, injured a hamstring strain or injury while you're out, say, uh, playing uh, rugby or tennis or football or frisbee or um, whatever, uh, that's from from an overstretch type of a of a mechanism. You put that muscle on too much of a stretch, so you can imagine the position you would be in is likely your knee going straighter than straight and or at the same time, uh, your hip going straighter than, than straight. So bending forward at the waist with your feet flat on the ground and reaching towards your toes is a common hamstring stretch. Keep your knees locked out. It's a hamstring stretch position. So, so imagine that. Uh, and then imagine that just happening really forcefully. So often in literature or in, or in, in athletics and the, the, the studies that support the injury in literature uh, show that it's a deceleration. So a patient or I keep saying patient, I'll say athlete is sprinting. And I, and I saw this not too long ago in the, I believe it was a college football game a couple of weeks ago. I saw a receiver uh, come up with a hamstring injury. So he was running a route. Uh, he made a cut and he, he was kind of outrunning the, you know, outrunning the play. The, it was a running play. He was outrunning a decoy route and he, but he's running, he's, he's into it. He's running fast and he really accelerated. And you can imagine the running position. He was bending forward. So it was forward flexed at the, at the waist and he was in a, in a sprint. So he was reaching far with his foot that, you know, for his running stride and he overextended uh, his knee, if you will. And right before you hit the ground, you kind of have that overextension and the, and the tendon and, and muscle probably can handle that. But as soon as his body weight hit the ground, all of that body weight force and momentum of his running went right to that hamstring and pop. You could see him just like wince, uh, and the next two or three steps he was limping, and then he he went to the ground, and the athletic trainers came out, and they kind of evaluated him and got him off the field. But the uh, you know the sideline reporter then came back saying he had a hamstring injury. So that's pretty common. That's it. That's that. It's a deceleration uh, type of a mechanism usually. So you can imagine bending forward dynamically. You're running. You're trying to you know move quickly. Uh, playing tennis. You try to change direction real quickly, you bend forward to the direction you want to go and you hyperextend your knee as you're pushing off. That can certainly cause it or that deceleration, like that sprinter right before your foot hits the ground. It's the late swing phase, we call it, of the gait. So right, your leg's out straight, you're reaching for the ground with your heel and you overstretch things and then boom, as soon as your heel hits the ground, all that force goes through there and something has to give. Um, typically, what will happen is the, what's called the musculotendinous junction. So the muscle belly, the actual muscle part, uh, is pretty, it's pretty tough and it's flexible, it's elastic. Uh, as it transitions into the tendon, which is the cable or the connection of a muscle to a bone, there's a transition where that tissue actually kind of blends into tendinous fibers or transitions into tendinous fibers. That's the weakest portion of that whole um, whole apparatus, if you will. I kind of picture it like links in a bike chain. So the muscle itself is a, is one of the links that the tendon is another link. And then between them is a third link that we call the musculotendinous junction. That's the weakest link. And that's likely where an injury is going to occur. You can have mid muscle belly, you know, injuries. It can happen down, you know, lower in the bulk of the muscle, but often it's closer to, uh, either the knee or the hip or the pelvis where it attaches at that musculotendinous junction because that's the weakest link and that's where those forces are able to cause that injury or that when they're focused, they're, that's where the injury will occur. So there's a separation. There's actually a tearing of that muscle tissue, either mid-belly or muscle tendinous, and, uh, you know, basically a void or a hole occurs or it ruptures through uh, the covering of the muscle. There's a mild fascial layer there that kind of covers uh, and keeps all those muscle fibers together and that kind of stretches or ruptures. And then you can have a 
what we would call a palpable defect. You can reach back and, the, and depending on how significant this is, you can feel a little dent or divot in the muscle itself or in that, that musculotendinous junction tissue itself. Um, chances are, if this is a major injury, I'm just looking thinking back to that college player, uh, he's going to have a ton of bruising or bleeding back there. That muscle belly, he was a, a you know, fit athlete, collegiate athlete. So his muscle bellies were def- definitely well-developed. So they were full of blood. He's out there playing football. Uh, he's running around. He's kind of pumped up. Uh, his muscles full of blood. You rupture that, the vessels inside that tissue are going to bleed like snot. And he just, I'm sure he had bruising. Uh, up and down the back of his leg for you know probably several weeks as it went through his process of being resorbed. But that that's an indicator of how how um, severe the injury could be, the amount of you know, swelling that that occurs. Not always you know one to one ratio, but uh, that's a good indicator. That palpable defect is a good indicator. And as you can imagine, he had pain when he tried to flex his knee or extend his hip. So oftentimes, just simple walking. The walking pattern, which includes, you know, landing on a straight leg or a fully extended leg, you're using your hamstrings, <clears throat> excuse me, to kind of catch that body weight as it's coming down. And then as you're transitioning, you know, over, you know, your foot goes directly into your body and then you're extending that hip, those hamstrings are doing that motion uh, and he likely had pain with that. Uh, the way that's worked up, um, if it's kind of on the minor side, so I'll just go back to that scenario of the football player. I saw his athletic training crew, I got him off the field. They took him to the tent. I don't know what they did there. You know, I didn't see it, but I can tell you what they did. Uh, they evaluated him. So they, they asked him, where's it hurt? Kind of locate, located. My guess is it probably was up towards the crease of his butt, probably, because that's right, kind of, and maybe just a little bit below that. Uh, that's where that musculotendinous junction is. Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to assume that they probably felt a little defect there. And that was the focus of his pain. They asked him to gently try to bend his knee. That increased his pain. They asked him to gently extend his hip. That increased his pain, kind of confirming that that's the area that was injured. Um, at that point, you have a couple options. They could have and may have, uh, at some point taken him to get an MRI. So at this point, this injury, when it's down in that area, an x-ray is not going to help us. It's not going to tell us anything unless he had some weird, you know, cystic thing in his femur and he broke his bone there. Uh, it's probably not a bony injury. So it's going to be a soft tissue injury. Soft tissue injuries do not, you know, we don't benefit anything by getting an x-ray there. So, um, probably skip through the x-ray, uh, or skip over the x-ray and get an MRI. And the MRI is going to show us, di- you know, a disruption of the muscle probably the musculotendinous junction and give us an idea of, you know, how big is that area of injury? Um, for him, the treatment options would be to decrease his activities, decrease spasming. So, uh, there's various ways to do that early on. Um, typically you do, you know, a, a, what we would term cryotherapy or ice packs, maybe ice massage and trying to just decrease the muscle spasm. The body's going to spasm an inflammatory reaction will happen. Part of that is going to be swelling, increased temperature, increased pain, and then muscle spasming to help splinter support those tissues, but that's going to cause pain. So it kind of gets stuck in the cycle. So we're going to try to decrease his spasming in ice, ice massage, uh, some compression, trying to keep that bleeding kind of in, in check, if you will. Um, maybe you know, a little compression will, will, um, put pressure, direct pressure, like you would for first aid on a cut. You put direct pressure on those small little bleeding vessels within the muscle, and that will kind of help them seal off a little quicker and decrease the amount of blood that's lost into the muscle belly, which is going to be toxic or kind of irritating, uh, for, you know, a few days or as long as it's there. So compression, ice, gentle, gentle, um, massage, maybe some gentle range of motion and really just time. Time is going to be in his, his best interest. As you get through the first three or four days, you know, you can start to heat that area or warm it up and try to get some of the blood flow to clear out some of the healing, 
uh, debris type of cells and, and encourage a little more range of motion, but it's going to be a slow, it's a, unfortunately it's a very slow process. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the injury severity of this guy. I'm just going to use him as an example, but it may be, you know, several weeks before he's able to get back out there and it'd be a slow transition. So the athletic training crew will take him through some range of motion, some gentle strengthening or resistance exercises, get him on a bicycle, you know, a stationary bike and, you know, just spin, use the other leg for power, just kind of ride the pedal and then eventually start to use the, the quadriceps to push, but not pull. And then you kind of share the effort, push and pull on the pedal, and then gradually, you know, switch over to, I'm pulling up, I'm actually getting a good, you know, workout to my hamstrings in that controlled environment on the bike. And then you transition over to field exercises or activities and ultimately work your way back to on the field the demands and hopefully get him back to full activity. Uh, so that would be the hamstring strain. Again, pain, it's usually with that deceleration or right before your foot hits the ground in a running phase, um, that la last late swing phase, right before your foot hits the ground, you've extended your knee, you're probably bending forward a little bit. So you're, you're pulling your hamstrings from the top side and then wham, it just hits and you just weren't ready for it. And, um, the hamstring musculotendinous junction typically fails. The other option, and these are the guys I saw in the clinic is an actual tendon failure. So that's where the, the, you know, the muscle itself is fine. That musculotendinous junction is fine, but way up high, right where that tendon attaches to that bone, to that sit bone, that ischial tuberosity, it, it fails up there. It actually pulls off of that bony, you know, structure. That's a tendon failure. That's a different, that's a different bird altogether. So two guys, two separate and totally very similar. They're roughly the same age. They're older plus 60 plus, uh, really active guys. Um, both of them came in, one was hiking and slipped on some, you know, loose gravel rocks. And one was, um, he kind of had two, two injuries. He was playing pickleball uh, and felt something, you know, day one. And then two, two or three days later, uh, he was out uh, playing tennis, uh, and bent down just simply bent down, uh, fairly aggressively to get the ball, uh, that he was about to serve and felt something release way up high, kind of on, in the butt itself. So up in the buttock region. So that's where that tendon attaches. It's a pretty big tendon. I'm going to say, you know, typically if you put your thumb up, you know, maybe th you know, two thumbs together, it's a, you know, it's a big tendon, this attachment's three muscles that are coming together. And typically they would just avulse or pull off of that ischial tuberosity. Uh, so the, the pain is roughly in the same area, maybe a little higher. They kind of, you know, put their fingers if you reach around kind of on your, on your glutes there and you push upward at the, you know, the crease of your, where your glutes meet your leg, you kind of push upward. You can feel that sit bone and that's where their pain is. They have the exact same findings as the football player. They don't want to bend their knee. They don't want to extend their hip. Both of those are hamstring actions and they hurt. And in this case, uh, they really had difficult time doing it because that tendon was disrupted. Um, they could because accessory muscles could help them out, but, um, the tendon was pulled off the bone. So it was detached that, that link to that chain was broken. Uh, so they couldn't do it. Uh, same workup, you know, we worked them up in the clinics I and mean, we weren't on the sideline of a football game. We were, uh, they came into the clinic. Uh, we worked them up. We did get an x-ray though. And the difference is here, we were worried about a bony avulsion. Did they pull a piece of bone off uh, of that, of the initial tuberosity along with the tendon, or was it a tendon, tendon failure itself? So it's important to know that. 
Uh, we did follow up with an MRI on both of those patients. And in both of those patients, it was just a simple tendon rupture, uh, no bony involvement. Uh, and the key here is we, we kind of knew that, uh, but we wanted to see how far away from that bony structure was the tendon edge. So when that ruptures, those muscles still contract. They're still getting a signal from the nervous system. So they still want to shorten. So when they contract, they pull away from where they're supposed to be attached. And in both cases, they were about a two and a half centimeter, almost three centimeters. So an inch or more than an inch away from its attachment point. The key point there is if we're, if we're two centimeters or more, there's a good chance that there's not going to be a scar bridge. You know, they're going to be able to heal that back. And so those tendons become, certainly can become less effective and maybe even, you know, you lose strength and you lose balance and you use all the benefit of having those tendons intact. So both of those patients became surgical patients. We went to the operating room, made an incision, again, not that crease of the butt back there, separated a couple of the gluteal muscles to get down to, to the hamstrings and reattached, put an anchor in the bone. Anchor is just basically a headless screw with some sutures coming out of it. Took those sutures in a fancy, you know, baseball stitch fashion through the tendinous structure and pulled it back up and reattached it to the bone. And then we're going to go through a rehab protocol, avoiding knee flexion, avoiding hip extension. We put them on crutches. We put them in a knee brace, locking them out straight, which seems a little odd for a for an injury in the backside of your, you know, kind of up in your pelvis. But we don't want him to flex his knee. We don't want him to slip and fall and have a, a knee flexion. And we certainly don't want them to do it on purpose uh, to see how things go, because that could put tension on that repair and pull it off or pull it away from where we want it to heal. So... Um, we repaired both of those patients and they're going to go through a six or eight week period of uh, kind of limited activity. And then we'll go through another six or eight weeks of recovery in therapy to get their strength and range of motion back. Um, this is one area. And, and so this came to my mind as I was saying that uh, both of these patients said, should we do a biologic? Should we do a PRP or a stem cell injection to really encourage this to, to heal? And in, in both these cases, we didn't feel like that was going to be a huge plus for those musculotendinous or muscle belly injections, that may be a plus. As some of the literature is starting to come out saying, you know, this is an area we know, you know, tennis elbow, tendonitis, tendinopathies um, tend to benefit from those PRP or biologics. This muscle belly and or musculotendinous junction, especially if it becomes chronic, if you do it more than once, and this is an injury that can happen, you know, once, and then you feel like you got better, you get back out there, you play for a week or two, and it wasn't fully healed, and you went a little bit, you know, harder than you had before, and you re-injure it. It can become a chronic issue pretty quickly. So those chronic musculotendinous junction hamstring injuries or muscle belly injuries, not necessarily the avulsion of the tendon off the bone, but the other two two areas or two groups tend to, uh, to at least are on the radar for these biologics. So a PRP injection may encourage an inflammatory reaction, bring in some of the healing cells, uh, the growth factors that are needed to heal. And maybe uh, there's something there to encourage some healing. You'd need to be done under ultrasound guidance. So you're putting that needle with that you know, blood product, that biologic product right to the exact spot where you want it. Um, but that's, that's an area that's uh, starting to evolve to on more of the positive side for the biologics. So hamstring injury strain, musculotendinous strain, muscle belly strain, uh, and or tendinous avulsion are all tendon, or all, excuse me, hamstring injuries uh, that we see not all that often, but they're not uncommon. And again, we're, we're coming into a busy season up here in the mountains where ski season is starting to happen. People will slip on the ice. Uh, they'll, you know, it's just, you lose a little bit of control of your environment. 
uh, when the when the weather changes and uh, we'll start to see these trickle in a little more frequently now. Again, it's a tennis injury, it's a running injury, it's a pickleball injury, it's a hiking injury, it's a ski injury, you, you, football injury, you name it. Anything where you're moving and then you're you get outside of the the ability of your body. If it happens to be knee extension and hip, or excuse me, knee flexion and hip extension, uh, you certainly can cause injury to that that hamstring um, mechanism. So just wanted to touch on that one. That was a, a fairly quick one, um, but I, I've seen it. It's, again, kind of crazy. You see these things that come in waves. You know, it's been hamstring season up here for some reason. So just wanted to touch on that. Again, if you have a topic that I'm not uh, talking about, just send me an email, uh, topics at h2orthopedics.com. Uh, to send an email, you can go to our website, uh, h2orthopedics.com. And uh, there's a there's a little list in there, a little form in there you can uh, fill out and send all the information to me. If you want to talk, you know, directly, you know, have a more of a one-on-one, there's a, a virtual visit option there to just ask a few more questions and we can set up a phone call. We can set up, you know, a meeting of some sort to uh, to discuss your specifics. I'm happy to do this. I, I enjoy doing it. I like to help people understand what's wrong. That's the purpose of H2O, to, to teach you, not tell you what's wrong, and then help you uh, figure out it and make educated guesses on um, – Educated guesses, I guess probably what it is. Educated decision uh, on your treatment options moving forward to reach the goals that you want and not necessarily the goals that I think are in your best interest. You know better than I. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking. That's hamstring injuries. Uh, If you have something you want to talk about, send me an email, hit me up on the website. If not, as always, I want you to do your best to stay active, stay healthy, and put a smile on someone else's face. I will talk to you later.